Welcome to On The Block with Richard Stone. Richard is a 40-something construction company owner based in the UK. His passions are technology, business automation, customer experience, and helping other small business owners using his own valuable life and business experience. This podcast will be a mixture of solo spots, casual conversation, as well as inspirational key people of influence from their respective fields. Make yourself comfortable and enjoy listening. Here is your host, Richard Stone. So, I'm joined today by Dawn Hemmings from Unique Health and Safety, who does delivers interim health and safety management, as well as coaching and drugs and alcohol testing for other businesses. So, Hi Dawn and welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. No problem. So we've got some standard questions that we tend to ask most of our guests um, and we've got some of them here. So if we go through those first and then we will get on to talking about the main event which is the M word or menopause. So I'll start at the top. So what did you want to be as a child? Because I'm pretty sure you probably didn't sit there at five years old thinking, I know, I want to work in health and safety. No, I didn't, no. So I um, I always wanted to be a dental surgery assistant. Um, not sure why, but then I went on, uh, you know, you get two weeks work experience. So I did one week um, shadowing a dentist and thought, hmm, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Yeah, so there were some uh, interesting uh, appointments that came through the door, which put me right off. So the second week I went on um, work experience hairdressing, um, and that's what I did when I left school. So I was a hairdresser for like three and a half years. Okay, it's interesting, isn't it? Some of the different things that people, because kids now don't do work experience, they don't actually get sent out of school. Yeah, and when I, I well. yeah, when I talk to my children about it, they're like, what, what you went out to work to, what, when you were at school? Like, yeah, I worked in a mechanics garage because I couldn't get any work experience at a building company and I hated every money of it. Yeah. yeah, I think most people, I don't think many people actually did work experience then went on to do the job that they actually went and did some work experience at. Wow. Yeah. So, favorite, so favourite famous person, who's oh, your yeah. favourite? Uh, hands down, Elvis Presley, all day long. Been a fan of this since I was probably... Uh, four years old, uh, still a fan today, um, been to Graceland twice, um, absolutely worship the guy and, and I'd have to say, <laughs> very sad, don't, don't, don't judge me, but um, he was my first love, um, you know, and he always will be. He's, you know, if, it, if, I, if I'm having a, a down day, then Elvis, Elvis Presley comes on, I put Elvis Presley on, I listen to him, uh, but yeah, huge, huge fan. So what is it about his music? Because at four or five, I mean, I can still recall some of the songs that I heard at, at that age, and, and some of them are, are still stuff that I listen to now. So what was it about Elvis that sort of just struck a chord with you? Well, my mum, my mum's a fan as well. So it was either Johnny Mathis or Elvis Presley. So, you know, I didn't really... <laughs> Limited scope of choice then. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just I just loved him. I just like that. I like the music from the the fifties, sixties, um, and then I liked his latter stuff. Um, he's a good looking bloke. Obviously, towards the end, he probably wasn't. But I, I don't know. I, I can't. My mum's asked me the same question, and I can't just I can't pinpoint what it is about him. He's just he's it's just an amazing. It's just. He was the king, wasn't he? It was just, it was yeah, just beautiful. Just an amazing talent. Talented, yeah. Sense of humour. His birthday is two days after mine. Oh. Yeah. I think there was something about me, people that, that were sort of famous at that time, though. They sort of, they, I mean, it's like Rod Stewart. He definitely got better looking as he got older. Oh, I think yeah. the same to be said for, for Elvis as well. It's almost like they grew into himself. Oh, 1969 comeback special. I mean... Sorry, 1968 comeback special. I got the year on there. I mean, flipping Eddie was what 33. Yeah, he was nice then. I'm sure many other women would say the same. I'm sure they would. Perhaps we'll do. A, perhaps that could be a subject for a poll. Yeah, I'm just having a hot flush now. <laughs> so, 
If you could have dinner with a famous person, who would they be? Where would you go and what might you like to eat? So, uh, yeah, I would, um, I'd have dinner with Martin Luther King. Um, again, another, another bloke that fascinates me, somebody who's, you know, standing up to fight for what they, you know, they believe in and never gave up, up right up until his death. Um, I'd probably go down Beale Street and have a fish supper with him in Memphis. Um, and we'll just talk about, you know, his experiences and, you know, fight for equality and probably talk about how things are now and, you know, how things have changed. Because I think, you know, if he would have been around when um, Barack Obama was, you know, inaugurated as president, he'd be like, my job's done now. Yeah, can I imagine. I how do you think he'd feel now in 2020? I think he'd still be fighting, especially in um, Southern America, because I think it's still quite right there. Not as bad as what it was when he was, um, you know, in the 60s, but, you know, it's still, it's still nowhere near where, it, where it needs to be. There's definitely so, still uh, a lot of work to do, isn't there? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, whoever, whoever said that somebody's colour of someone's skin made them any different to anybody else, I think they're the ones that need shooting. Yeah, it's a bit of an alarming thing to, to come out with, isn't it? And it's just yeah. unfortunately grown traction for years and now it's trying to undo and un put right all the damage that's been done by some of the things that have happened as a result of that. And it's changed yeah. sort of generations, isn't it? It has, yeah. It has. And, it, and, and it's, it's wrong. It's so wrong mm. on so many levels. Yeah. So hobbies and pastime, what do you like doing when you're not looking at improving and delivering health and safety? So I like going walking. I used to go running, but I've got too many injuries for that now. Um, and archery. So I'm a, um, a coach, level one coach uh, in archery as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I quite enjoy doing that. I haven't been for a while because um, I injured my elbow, but um, as soon as that's better, I'll be back doing archery again. I would imagine it must be quite hard on your upper body, isn't it, archery? All the, the amount of sort of energy you've got to pull into pulling the, yes. what's it called, the string or whatever it's called. Yeah, the string. <laughs> Yeah, so there are different poundage on, on different bows. So mine's 25 pound. Um, and you, you actually, it's quite interesting when I'm coaching because you get these big blokes, you know, being down the gym pumping iron. And actually, they can't even pull the bow because it's a different set of muscles that you're using. And, and you actually pull from your shoulders and from, from your shoulder blades. Right. Um, so having big biceps means nothing. It's pointless, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It, the body's fascinating. I mean, I tore my bicep off, um, clean mm -hmm. off in an accident, um, randomly pushing a box of floor tiles at home about, cool, blimey, four, five, about five years ago now. Um, and that's a six hour operation to sew it back on that then turned into just about a nine hour up that went a bit wrong and that to have it recast a few times. And, and it was amazing, just stupid things. Like I'd never appreciated that actually to, to rotate your hand at your wrist that whole action is nothing to do with your wrist. That's all driven by your bicep. Yeah. And actually, I learned quite a lot from through going through that injury about actually how the body, what the body does, and how different bits of it work. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's no surprise that actually somebody, some big beefcake that turns up and can't actually pull a bow back. Yeah. Twenty-five pound. That's some fierce breaker. How just out of interest, how far would an arrow go using that? Well, I I could shoot sixty yards, no problem. And, wow. and sometimes if you miss the ball. Because with 60, you can't, you can't generally see it. You have to, you have to hear for it hitting. Mm. But it can go further. But um, there are three, there are different types of bows. So if you've got a compound, that can go 150 yards, no problem. It, it is, yeah, it's huge, that one. Wow. Yeah. 150 yards, that's some distance, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Oh, bear it in mind. So, so what, where do you like to go when you get to go away? I mean, obviously you can't at the moment because of lockdown restrictions, but where do you like to go as a holiday destination? So I am not one of these people that likes to go sit on a beach. I find that so boring and tedious. And I couldn't think of anything worse. So I have a map of the world of um, dots of where I've been and dots where I want to go. Um, so I go on adventure holidays. Um, I think my most favourite place is Africa. I've been there twice uh, due to go in again in January, fingers crossed. Um, but the second time I went, I went to Rwanda, Uganda and Kenya. Okay. I, I was in Rwanda, um, we went to see gorillas in the, in the mountains. And I was literally stood a metre away from this huge silver black 
who was just stood there watching us and we're like oh my god and the, the, the gamekeeper says he just wants to come out just shuffle back a bit and we're like oh my god and we just like moved back and he just came out wandered off and i could have reached out and touched him he was that close but well, because they take people up there every day the gorillas have become used to them mm. and the poachers are now the gamekeepers right uh, which is which is good so the population um is growing hugely out there but that was yeah that was fantastic but mm. yes yeah, so I, I like going on different adventures so i've, I've um I've seen pink dolphins in the Amazon in, in Brazil. Um, I've seen, I didn't even know that was a thing. There you go. Yeah, and they're only, they're only probably about just over a, a foot long. Look, pink dolphins. They're amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've um, searched for tigers in India, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, New Zealand, Brazil, Africa, um, Rwanda, uh, no, um, Nepal, uh, Burma. Uh, Canada, oh, yeah, been quite a few places. Some pretty far-flung places. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind betting that your map is really well organised and you've probably got different coloured dots for where you've been to where you're going. I have, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I have one colour for where I've been, one colour for where I want to go, and if I've booked it, it turns yellow. Are they red, amber, green by any chance, these dots? No, they're pink and, pink and blue. Are they? Cool. So... So the main reason for getting you to come on the podcast was to talk about a subject I know you're quite passionate about. You've recently talked about it um, in a very summary level, I think is pretty fair to say, um, in some stuff you've put on social media. And it's not a subject that really gets talked about um, an awful lot and certainly not enough. Um, so without any further ado, let's get on and talk about the menopause. So... Um, when did you first kind of notice or when did you first sort of think that this might be something that would be you'd need to start thinking about i think when you get when when you get probably around mid 40s it, it's something that that pops into a woman's mind because between 45 and 50 is generally when women tend to, to, to start the what they call now is the perimenopause mm. um people will probably ask you what's what's the difference between perimenopause and the menopause well the difference is is that you only get into the menopause if you've not had a period for for a year so you have to go one year one full year and then you classed as the uh, as being in the menopause yep. but if you've had an operation so if you've had um a, a hysterectomy or your ovaries removed then you go straight into the menopause no matter what age you are yeah, so, don't they call it a clinical? I, and this is going to sound like I know what I'm talking about, so please don't think I do. Um, but I have listened to some podcasts in preparation, and I did hear um, Dr. Louise Newton yesterday was interviewing someone, um, and she referred to what's called a clinical or a surgical menopause. Would that be what she was referring to? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm currently in the perimenopause, but on Wednesday, I'm going in for an operation to have my ovaries removed, which will put, although I'm three months away being a year mm-hmm. it will put me straight into the menopause right and is that elective or is that something that's been taken? I, no so i'm kind of probably a little bit different to, to probably most women so i've been on the pill since i was 16 um and i went on to a pill back in 2006 which actually stopped all periods so up until april last year i hadn't had a period since 2006 um, and my mum kept going on and on at me saying, how do you know you're going to be in the menopause if you don't know when you when your periods stop? And I'm like, all right, then I'll come off the pill. So last April, I came off the pill. And three days later, I started getting pain on my lower left side. Um, and it just never went away. And the degree of pain was uh, probably down to a four up to about an eight. So every- quite a range. Yeah, and that and that's every day. So sometimes it's like a dull toothache, mm. sometimes it's like a real burning pain. So I, I went to the doctors probably about June last year, who sent me for a ultrasound scan on my on my ovaries and came back, oh everything's fine. And I'm thinking, well it can't be fine because I'm still getting this pain. Anyway, time went on, I went back again, um, and then beginning of this year they sent me for a CT scan. And the scan came back with um, 
abnormalities on my womb and um, ab abnormalities on my liver. So they thought, um, you, the one on your womb, it may be womb cancer. So they sent me for a whole range of tests and biopsies and it came back that it was just a slight thickening of the lining of the womb. Um, so that was all ruled out. The liver, it was just large, large in, uh, blood vessels going into the liver. So that was ruled out. Um, and then I must have seen, so I was under one consultant, but I had five appointments and I saw a different junior consultant. And I'm like, so we then got to see a, a lady consultant. And when I said, well, we've got, you know, you've, you've said I've got a thickening lining of the womb. Um, and you said now that on the CT you found a, a cyst on my left ovary. Surely there's something that's link, linked there. So she said, well, let's go do a, um, an exploratory laparoscopy and we'll remove the cyst at the same time. That was just as we went into lockdown. And then obviously everything stopped. Mm. So, you know, this pain has just been getting, actually the last probably couple of months has got worse and worse. And then eventually I get a face-to-face -face meeting. So I rang up and I was going, I need to see this consultant I'm under. I don't want to see anybody else but this consultant. Um, and so I saw him and he says, well, I, well, it's obviously the ovary that's causing you the problem with the cyst, so we'll remove both of them. Um, because you're at that age and you haven't had the period since November, so we might as well just remove both of them. So um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, it will just um, take that pain away. Fingers crossed? Yeah. So is that so that's coming up soon, is it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So hopefully that'll be, that'll give you some respite. It will, but it'll put me straight into the menopause, mm. which means that the symptoms that I've been experiencing for the last five years will escalate mm. to a new level. So just let's talk about those then. So because some people sort of know about them, a lot that a lot of people have absolutely no idea. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't. Um, the first time I really sort of came across it as an as an adult, apart from hearing it as a kid when you like you hear mum talking to friends and stuff. Um, I was doing some research for a panel discussion that I was on with women in roofing um, okay. and we were looking at the the changes and the importance of mental health and well-being and some of the stuff that was based on a report from the Chartered Institute of Building and one of the reports that I was reading was about the impact that poor welfare facilities has on the mental health of people that work or already work in construction but also that the amount of people that that look at actually poor sanitation and think that's not a career I want to go down. I don't want to go down that road. And, you know, I'll be honest, I thought, do you know what? Well, most big sites have got male and female toilets, and, but I'd, I'd never considered that actually they should have the same sanitation sort of suppliers visiting every week to empty special bins in loos and stuff. I'd never considered that. And I'll put my hands up as an employer and say on a building site, we'd never thought about making sure we've got that provision. Um, but I'd certainly never had any understanding of kind of all the emotional and the physical sort of symptoms that you go through during the menopause. And they're quite, they're quite vast, aren't they? It's horrific. <laughs> we get all the, oh, we get the real short end of the stick, I think. Well, where, where do I start? So um, for me, it was the mood swings that, that actually started for me. So um, I'll, I'll give you two, two stories that will, Give you the, an example. So, I went for my interview to be a fellow member of the of IOSH, mm -hmm. the Institute of Occupational Safety yep. and Health. And I went in there, I did my presentation, and they asked me some questions. And right at the end, they said, "What does it mean to you to be a fellow?" And I said, "Well, I'm sure you get people sitting here, sitting here, saying it means the world to them, but it really doesn't mean the world to me. I'm so sorry, and I couldn't help it." And this guy sat opposite me, good. Do you need a drink? Have a drink of water. I'm like, and I'm going, I'm sorry, it's the menopause. <laughs> Needless to say, I did get my fellow. I was going to say, did you get my fellow? <laughs> yeah. But then on the other hand, I could be ripping someone's head off. So I was on, I was on a plane coming back from, um, from Belgium. And this, I put my, my, it was a really small plane. Um, and I put my, my laptop in the overhead and then this guy comes along and he's trying to ram his his um his back in there and i'm like oh hold on a minute my laptop's in there 
And um, so I says, let me move it. Then he put yours in and, and he, he just said the wrong words. He went, can calm down? And I'm like, calm down. Wow. And I just went off on one and then I sat down and he went, I'm sat there. And he was sat in, this, in the window seat next to me. And I'm like, and he goes, oh, this will be a great flight. And I went, well, don't worry. I'll keep my earphones in so you don't have to speak to me. And, and I, afterwards, and I'm waiting for my luggage, I'm stood there thinking, what was that all about, Dawn? You know, but it was just like something comes over and you just can't help it. I mean, I've, I've heard friends of mine saying that their husbands are absolutely, you know, at, at the end of their tether because their wives are snapping at them all the time. But it's a, it's a, it's a feeling you just can't control it. You mm. can't. Like if I wanted to cry. I just have to let it. I just have to cry, mm. get it out of my system, and then carry on. So you you're aware that this is ha actually happening to you, but you're just it's just not within your control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, you know you feel. I, I mean, I get a lump in my throat and I want to cry. And if someone says, "What are you crying for?" I go, "I don't know," but I can't I can't stop it. And if I try to to kind of like control it, it just makes it ten times worse. Mm. So. You, for me, it's just better to have a good cry and then get on with the rest of the day. Yeah. Bottling up emotions never ever ends well anyway, does it? Menopause no. or no menopause, it's that's not that's just a recipe for disaster. No. So that that is like that that's the first the first things. Um then there's the uh this the hot flushes and night sweats. So I've I've heard women describe um hot flushes differently. So for me I almost get like um, an anxiety feeling in my stomach. And then it's like, that's, it's almost like that's firing the core of me to heat up. And then it's almost like I heat up from the inside out. And, it, and it's just like, oh my God. And you just, and you end up with a, you look flush and you just have to somehow try and calm it down because mm. it just, sometimes it just, it can be there for hours. And other times it's just a hot flush and then it's gone again. And have you found have you found a way to be able to do that, or is that something that's still a challenge now? I, I bought I bought a little tiny fan that fits into the end of my iPhone, and I just plug it in and okay. I just sit there like this, and it just helps cool everything down. So mm. that goes in my handbag everywhere. Um, it's a well-travelled fan then, based on some of the countries you've been to. Absolutely, yeah. But then the night sweats. Oh God, that's just a whole different story. Um, most most nights it's quilt on, quilt off, fan off, fan off, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. So not only do you get the night flushes and, and you're hot, you just can't sleep. Mm. Um, and when you do have a night sweat, you literally wake up, wake up and you are drenched. I mean, think of a guy that's just been down the gym for an hour and he's, mm. he's wet. It's like that. And you haven't mm. even done anything. You've just been laying in bed. Mm. And even, even like the car, your calves are wet. It's just, everything's just wet, it's horrible. Mm. I must admit, I was listening to Louise Newton interviewing Davina McCall over the weekend. Um, and that was, I think that was the trigger that actually made her actually sort of reach out and do something about it. She was on a Garnier shoot somewhere abroad in Paris, I think. And she woke up in the middle of the night and, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, I found out through listening to her podcast, but I didn't know she was actually an ex-heroin addict. And one of the one of the things that I found absolutely astonishing was one the vulnerabilities she sort of both shared in, in demonstrated in sharing that. Um, but what she was actually saying was, and the reason she but she brought it up was she was saying that actually the night sweats that she was going through were akin to her going cold turkey when she stopped taking heroin, and the gravity of that, you know, that is I mean that's like something out of train spotting. Yeah, honestly, it's it's horrific. I've never experienced anything in my life. And, I mean, there's, there's precious little you can do about the physical stuff, but but the the sort of the deprivation of sleep must be awful. Oh, do you know what? I've I've gone months months without sleeping properly. I can't remember the last time I actually slept all the way through the night. For for me, a typical night is I, I'll get in. So, sometimes I'll go to bed and I'm freezing. Mm. And then partway through the night, that's it, you're hot. Or, or you think, right, I'm cold, so I'll put a, a fleece on, you get in bed, and within seconds you're hot. So you, you might as well just not go, not wear anything. And then 
I have a little fan next to my bed. So I could, you know, fall asleep and then I wake up, I'm hot. So the quilt's off, the fan's on. And then I get cold, so I've come back down and the quilt's back on and the fan's off. And that's a typical night. And that goes through all, all the way through the night. It, it's and it's just your quality of sleep is just horrendous. Mm, I can imagine. So we've so so we've got mood swings, hot flushes, night sweats. Wow, we're building quite a list here. What's the next one? Anxiety and depression. Okay, this is yeah. fascinating. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um I, I'm I've had a few uh, up until so I've recently gone on HRT um, up until so this probably about two weeks ago I was I, I've gone on uh, I went on HRT before that I just felt like I was I just got this black cloud over my head and no matter what I did I couldn't I couldn't shake it and when you've got friends saying you're not your usual bubbly self or you know that something's not quite right mm. um, I know what depression feels like. I've been there before to the point where I've wanted to take my life. This is not quite as bad as that, but it's just like a feeling, a, a real heavy feeling that you just can't shake. Mm. Um, and luckily the last couple of weeks on HRT, I'm starting to feel myself again. Um, I feel me again. I feel like myself, but it's, 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 it's a hard, it's hard, it, you know, and, and when you've got that combined with anxiety, mm. I mean, I've been, you know, especially over the, you know, when we was in lockdown and I, I live by myself, I'm working by myself. Yeah. So you're constantly by yourself. And there are times when you work, I, I always find that when you work at home, you, you, you kind of, it's more intense and you, you sit at your desk more. Mm. And there's been times I've been sat at my desk and, and I've got this feeling in my stomach and my heart's racing. And I'm thinking, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, I'll just work through it. Mm. And you can't, you just got to leave your desk and just go for a walk or something to try and get your heart rate down. And it, it's just a, it's, it's, it just comes on and you, you again, you can't control it. It's, um, so you've been taking fine. HRT for a couple of weeks, you say? Yeah, yeah. So how long does that take to get into your system? Because a lot of complex medicines don't just start working overnight, do they? They take a while to kind of find their balance within your own body so from a um, mood swing point of view I would say this probably last this last week I felt I've started to feel me um, so yeah it's probably taken two weeks for me to feel human again um, there's a lot of women that can't take HRT so mm. doctors are now using antidepressants yes because they're similar system so when I first um, went to the doctors, I was put on fluxetine. Okay. Again, that that helped with the mood swing. So fluxetine is Prozac, basically. Mm. So it's a low dose of, of, of that. And um, I had another friend, who, an old, a school friend, she was on the same one, and we call them our happy pills because from a mood perspective, you know, we were like, we, <laughs> <You know? laughs> we're, we're high on fluxetine. Um, but then with that one it didn't help with the flushes and that the night sweats so then i was put on sertraline and and that one the side effects of that one is weight gain okay so, so the first three months of lockdown and me and my sister must have walked over 500 miles i actually put weight on what even though you walk 500 uh, are you yeah. going for like some kind of proclaimers tribute or something 500 <laughs> miles <laughs> wow we must have walked five miles nearly every day. Wow. So some some longer. But yeah. you still managed to, to gain weight as a result. Yeah. And was that was that diet or because I mean if you put all of that stuff together, I would imagine that actually eating healthily probably wouldn't really be your top priority when when you're feeling knackered, you're anxious, you're depressed, you can't sleep, you're up and down emotionally. It must be hard. Well, that's that's the next symptom is um, menopausal weight gain. Okay. So women, women who go through menopause tend to put weight around the middle and the tops of the thighs. I mean, that's a traditional area that women put weight on anyway. But when you're menopausal, it's even worse. So dieting is uh, is just well, you it, you just can't do it. Your mind, your mind's just not in it because you're coping mm. with everything else. Yeah. Trying to then focus on dieting for for me anyway, it's just mm. like I can't cope with that and everything else. Um, some women find it, you know, every, every woman's different. 
Um, some women find certain things that help them, but me, I just, I just can't focus on dieting and coping with feeling low and the mood swings and mm. the crying and and then not sleeping. And then when you're not sleeping, you're tired. It makes you grumpy, and it's yep. just a vicious circle. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I picked up from one of the podcasts that I listened to was that it seems like there's there's potentially a lot of good medicines out there, but there's an, a, a real lack of good evidence-based sort of data around them. I and a lot of the evidence that they've got actually is really, really out of date. I mean, some of the stuff that they were talking about, the doctor was talking about in the podcast with Davina McCall, some of the evidence is like 25 years out of date and because there's not enough money put into researching it. And actually some of these medicines actually could could be hugely beneficial um, and yeah. she, there were instances where there were there were there were particular sort of types of HRT where she'd got a history of breast cancer in her family, which kind of resonated with me because my my wife's father had breast cancer, so there's, there's certain drugs that Gemma can't take um, yeah. as a result of that. But actually, when you actually when this, you do what this doctor has done, which was to dig down into a lot of the research, a lot of it's actually flawed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, when I when I was speaking to the doctor, she says. Because there are different types of HRT. So mm. you've got the tablet, which are two pills together. Um, there are patches and they're yeah. cream. And she, the first thing she said to me is, oh, we'll have to put you on the tablets because we're, we're struggling to get stock from Europe because of Brexit. Oh, really? Yeah. So already, you know, we're... We're suffering from Brexit because we can't get the medication that we and need. What is it you can't get? The patches or the cream? It's the patches and cream are really, really um, low stocks of them across the UK. You would never think that would be as a result of Brexit, would you? No. Blimey. There's a lot of things that Boris Johnson can get blamed for, but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure about that as a side effect of Brexit, but wow, it doesn't surprise me. Given the global nature that we sort of the the world buys products these days, it doesn't surprise me that it's a problem. Yeah. So, so other other symptoms. Gone. We haven't finished yet. That's all right. It's fine. I'm I'm fascinated. So um, skin. So your skin ends up being a lot drier, and. In certain women get itching skin. So for me, it's behind my ears. Itches like you won't believe. And it's in, and that and that's another symptom of the menopause as well. Yeah. Wow. And what presumably apart from sort of applying moisturizer, there's not a great deal you can do for that, really. No, I've got I've got some cream for uh, some anti-itching cream which calms it down for ten hours, and, but then after that it starts again. Um, but are you limited to the amount of applications you can use that for, or? No, no. So you I've just keep got, applying it. You can do, yeah. I've also got some steroid cream that I'll apply now and again. Right. So that, that kind of helps. Um, and then on top of that, you have uh, thinning hair, and you're also susceptible to osteoporosis as well. I've not heard about the hair, but I've heard of osteoporosis. But to be fair, you've got a fair mop of hair, so I don't think you're going to struggle with that Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I've got loads of hair. (laughs) But osteoporosis, talk to me about that. So your calcium levels reduce as as your body starts to change. Um, So it makes your your bones brittle. So I know a lot of women that will take um, vitamin D tablets just to help with calcium levels. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's there, quite, there are that's... more personal things that occur on as well, but I'm not sure you want to talk about them. I don't mind. Okay. So, I, I, you know, certain women also have um, vaginal dryness. Right. So it can be quite dry. Um, so have to use lubricant from, uh, you know, the sex and stuff. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's that as well. Um, do you know what? every woman will come up with something else that we've probably not talked about mm. um, because it is it's unique to every single woman. There, there are some common things that we all go through, but there are other things that you go, oh, no, I don't have that. Um, mm. So the more you talk to people, the more other things come out. But because women, not women, women my age, we seem to talk about it a lot. So I'm, I'm 51. Older women don't want to talk about it. So my mum definitely doesn't want to talk about it. It, it mm. was, we just got on with it. It was called a change. There was none of this perimenopause and menopause and 
you know, he just got on with it. There was none of this fussing about and none of this stuff that you're all talking about. So I can't actually talk to my mum about it. So I had to talk to my friends that are similar age to me that are going wow. through it as well. So we go for a coffee and cake and we have a bitch about it and kind of put the worlds to right and we feel better and off we go again. Mm. Um, so it's interesting, the generations, um, how, how different it is for, for us today, how it was to back, back mm. then. I think that's the, that's the same with a lot of things, isn't it? I mean, a lot of this stuff, there's also sort of big implications for your mental health. I mean, anxiety and depression and all the other stuff that go with that. And, and that's another subject that just was not talked about. And I mean, I've done some posts about it on social media. I see a counsellor regularly. I've, my mental health goes up and down. I've days when it's really great, other days when it's when it's not so great. And I've had I've had a conversation with, with my parents about it and they were like, Don't talk about that on social media. People will think you're crazy and might want to work with you. And and the words mental and health never get spoken. Right. How are you? That's like them tipping their hat to like, You're right, boy. But them two words just wouldn't get put together. And do you know we need as society to talk about this stuff more because the more we do it and the more we normalize it the better it's going to become for people and the less pain and stress and hassle people are going to have to go through yeah absolutely i mean if you think if you think about it back in the days <laughs> this is going to sound so wrong in lincoln we used to call it no, there's a bill there used to be a um an institution in lincoln we used to call it the lincoln loony bin because people who had dementia, anxiety, depression, all the mental health things that we talked about, it was shipped off to the Lincoln Luna bit, or, you know, I'm sure there's equivalents yeah. around the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because one, they didn't know what it was half the time, and, and they didn't want to talk about it. So if you had a child that was, you know, mentally ill, you, you shipped them off somewhere. Mm. Whereas now, you know, we're a generation now where we want to talk about everything. We want to yeah. get everything out in the open, you know, so it's okay to be gay now. It's okay to be a transgender. It's okay because we mm. want to talk about it. And, you know, you are different. And, you know, our parents will go, well, we never talk, you know, I'm sure there's more gays out there than there was when we were. No, it's because we talk about it and we accept it more. Yeah. It's normal. But, it's just normal. Everybody, yeah. you know, we're all the same. It's like, I mean, we started at the top of the conversation talking about, Martin Luther King and, and actually how wrong it is to, to judge someone because they're sort of black or white or whatever whatever they are and it's no different actually in judging somebody because they're mentally unwell well, you wouldn't you? you wouldn't treat somebody differently if they broke their leg playing rugby you wouldn't say well don't go near him, he's got a broken leg so, well, so just because you can't see somebody's head doesn't mean that it's acceptable to judge yeah. their, their position or their condition and I think as well how we you know think you can go through school you had the thick table. <laughs> I remember in junior school, I mean, but Peter Kane does it brilliantly. But he does, yeah. The thick, yeah. thick table is like you, thick table. But it was because they probably had special needs. Yeah. No, it, yeah we did. It, Me and my other three little mates on the <laughs> table, we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing to do with the size of the top, I can tell you. <laughs> but, you know, now... We understand what it is, and yeah. so we can deal with that. Yeah. And we, you know, we want to speak out more. We want to talk about it. And mental health is a huge, you know, that's probably another conversation we could have. Because yeah, it's huge. About that one. Mm. Um, so, schools have done amazing work in actually sort of getting senkos into schools and giving, yeah. getting support. But there's, there's, that's great. But that's now. There's still the gap between like you're fifty, I'm like mid forties. There's still this massive daft gap between that and where where we are at. And and the thing that all of the stuff that we're talking about menopause actually that I wanted to talk to you about specifically as well was about how this actually plays out in the workplace environment. Yeah. Because obviously you're a big part of your role is health and safety. And you know, there's there's some massive things here that actually employers could actually do to make it make it easier and make it better for people. Um, yeah. So I think the first thing is um, raising the awareness with managers. So one of the things that I'm working on at the moment is to get a, a, a training package called Menopause Awareness for Managers because it's, it's a fact. There are more male managers than there are female managers, um, unfortunately. Um, at the moment. But, yeah, at the moment. But we need to educate men in, in, in what, you know, what a woman's going through when they're going through the menopause. 
Uh, and, he, and even, you know, when it's the time of the month for, for every other woman. They're both, they're, they're equally as important. Absolutely. So I think if, you know, if, if there's a woman that's very tearful, then the manager would say, well, she's, 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 you know, she can't do a job or she's weak or, you know, I can't be doing with that. I, can't, I don't know how to cope with somebody who's crying. But if it was somebody who went, okay, so you've told me you're going through the menopause, you want a good cry, go and have a good cry, come back, and then we'll be fine. You know, if they had somebody with more understanding, um, then I think there'd be more acceptance. Um, so if, if, you know, I just want to make sure managers are equipped to know what are the signs and symptoms and how can they deal with it and how can they cope with it without feeling embarrassed that there's a woman sat there in front of them crying their eyes out for no reason um you know if they're snapping you know take them to one side and just kind of you know what's going on is everything okay you know and just have a bit more sympathy mm. towards them because it's it's a it is a really tough time and especially if you go you know you've got that anxiety and depression all built into it as well um and it's you know we talk about mental health first aiders um but also in that training, there's nothing in there about menopause. Um, they'll talk about anxiety and depression, but mm. menopause doesn't come into that. So, you know, there's, there's a bit of an education on that training as well that really needs to happen. But it is a key, it is a key part of a woman's life. And we have legislation that has um, pregnant women, mm. you know, in the management regs, it talks about pregnant women and all the things that you have to do for them. So why not have something in there for menopausal women? That's a really interesting parallel actually because one of the things that actually that I picked up on from some of the stuff that I've listened to was that the amount of time that goes into teaching kids about safe sex and about biology at school and yet menopause is not talked about at all in, in the modern curriculum. Well, well actually okay having a baby is a lifelong commitment and as parents we all know that and some of us have got more scars from it than others um but actually the menopause is last a lot longer period of time than being pregnant does oh god yeah. so why is the education at school so you almost need to do some some foundation level education at school that then is built on in the sort of in the workplace and actually so it doesn't come as a shock when you sit down with a senior management team and say, right, you're going on a training course about menopause awareness, because I can guarantee you most of the people on it will go, you are? What's that? <laughs> it's and they've, they've got no base level education. So it's almost like saying to someone, right, you'll sit in a GCSE tomorrow, pal, but they've not done any revision. They've not had any training for it. And actually yeah. they're, they're expected to be able to manage people that, that are presenting and, and have, got, have got problems that are as a result of it. And, and I think it, it is difficult for somebody to show empathy for something that they've got no understanding for and they don't, they don't understand oh, and they haven't got a tremendous amount of awareness of. Yeah. And that's why I think that programme would be so helpful. Well, if you think, I mean, when I was at school, um, we, they, they taught us how a baby was made and they showed us a video of the, you know, watching the sperm and where it goes and everything. Yeah. But it's almost like it needs to be the life cycle of a woman. Because it's so complex, you know, the things that we yeah. go through from, you know, go through puberty is slightly different to a, to a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how that affects you as you get older, what happens to you when you're pregnant, then when you get into that perimenopause, what's going to happen to you then? Because the perimenopause can last between, I don't know, five, ten years. Yeah, and longer. So, yeah, as soon as you get into the menopause, that could be another 15, 20 years. Mm. So it's like, it's part of our life. It's something that you can't avoid. Every woman's going to go through it. So it needs to be part of that education. But I think also, never more so than now. I mean, the work in the sort of the retirement age has already been bounced down the road a couple of times. People are living longer. People are working longer. And there's a, there's every likelihood that, that that may well change and we might have to work longer. Well, if you think that the average age is early to mid 40s to start perimenopause. Yeah. So, and that may, may go for five years, so then you're into the minimum. Actually, you're talking about probably a third to half of a, a working woman's actual yeah, life. Absolutely. That yeah. this, is, this is going to be an issue. So um, that ought to be absolutely like mandatory, that training, surely? I think it should be, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we said before, we're in a, 
we're in an age where we want to talk about things and we want to learn about things yeah. because you know they've never been spoke about before so let's get them out there and try and change the education system so they are equipped they need to be equipped for you know mental health and and what's going to happen to them as they get older yeah but i mean i personally i mean the education system i could talk for months about that but i think um, i think it, it's fundamentally flawed i think it needs to change dramatically there's too big a there's some massive gaps in it that are just not covered that ought to be that apply to every single human being on the planet and there are things in there that they're teaching you never touch again once you leave school. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I, I always was like, well, why do I need to know Pythagoras? Well, actually, to be fair, we do use it for setting our buildings. But, you know, if you're going to go and do a job and become a chef, you probably don't need to know it. Or if you're going to go and sweep the street, you don't need to know it. So why not actually put vocational stuff aside like that and actually in, introduce stuff about the menopause, right. about taxation, about running a household budget, relevant stuff that is relevant to every single person and actually yeah. wait until you're further down the line and you know a little bit more about what you want to do as a career and then say well okay oh, so you so you, you want to do a job that might involve some advanced maths okay well that's part of that that's part of the curriculum for that trade that you want to go and do or or yeah. for that professional career but, no, absolutely i mean I've, I've been in schools doing um talks about what you want to do when you leave school um, and I talk them through my career because it's been so varied and you know I get a group of kids and say right what do you want to do when you leave school and I probably get one hand and one person will put their hand up and go I want to be this mm. um, and I just sort of say to them you know it's okay if you don't know what you want to do so you know I was a hairdresser and I was a PA and I got into health and safety so you know you can you can change your career whenever you want but it's it, it, it's what's missing from the education system is life what's life going to be when you leave school yeah. you know not only from from you as a person how you're going to change but what you're going to experience when you get out there yeah because it's very different so so to round things up then what makes you feel proud i think i think it's um and i still pinch myself today is i, I left school with no qualifications so i i did cse's so that so shows how long how long ago it was and to get that to be an equivalent as an O-level, which was a GCE, you had to get, get a grade one or a two CSE. All mine were three under life. And it was because I hated school, absolutely hated school. I got bullied all the way through school. Um, so it wasn't until I left school that I actually doing things that I wanted to do. Um, and so I now have three businesses and two master's degrees. So I have a master's degree in uh, Master of Science in Environmental Health and Safety Management and I have the MBA, which is the Master in Business Administration. And when I was doing the first one, I had no idea how high up that, that was because mm. the next level is a PhD. Yeah. Um, so I was like, spent two years working as health and safety and then coming home and studying at night and the weekends health and safety and the amount of wine and chocolate and tissues I got through was unbelievable <laughs> um, but I did it and I'm very proud um, mm. of both of them um, because the, the, the MBA was three years mm. and that was distance learning and working full-time as well so yeah very proud of both of them master's degrees and the fact that I've now got three businesses so you should be a roaring success so on that subject then as an mba what three tips would you give for other business owners right now i would say um don't give up uh, because you will fail along the way um and that's inevitable when you're doing your own stuff do you know what failure is good like i was listening oh, yeah. to brene brown a couple of weeks ago and I mean, I've listened to her stuff for years, but I always listen to it every time I go to Youth Build because it's about vulnerability and it puts me in the right headspace. And she always talks about TED conferences actually being a, not a celebration of success, it's about a celebration of failure because everybody that's there has failed before they've succeeded and you need to do that. It's really important. When, and I think when you're coaching people, it's really good to have that to draw on because actually you know what failure looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the first one. Don't give up. Um, show up every day um, there are times when you think because when you're running your own business you, you've got your safety hat on your accountant's hat on your marketing hat on you've got every single hat on and it's, it can be um, a weight on your shoulders so keep showing up every day 
um, keep, you know, if, if, if LinkedIn or social media is your thing, keep posting, um, keep, keep, keep just showing up every day. And I think the other one is, don't be afraid to walk away from a, from a client. Um, I, I was... Hallelujah. <laughs> I was four months into my business and I got a retainer um, contract with a customer. Um, I only went in one day a month, but every month I went in, somebody else had left and all the stories that I would hear and um, their values just did not fit mine. And I just had to walk away. I thought, I can't work with this company. It was, and I just didn't want to go there. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to walk away from your client because not everyone is your ideal client. That's really important. And, but, and that's something that I cover in coaching and mentoring actually, is that actually the, the power and the value in knowing what your ideal client looks like, because yeah, that is huge. And it's, I mean, there was, I will never forget, there was a song playing on the radio on the way to my nan's funeral and it was Kenny Rogers, the gambler. And he's got a line in that song about you've got to know when to hold them, but you've also got to know when to fold them. And sometimes you have actually got to just go, do you know what? This is not for me. Our values don't line up. We might have thought they did, but they don't. Actually, it's time to call it a day. And that's yeah. a really powerful thing to do. And it's not a decision. I mean, I applaud you for that because four months into a new startup, I know what that feels like. And to, to walk away from a retained client, you know, that's a, that's a decent lump of income that's secured. So I applaud you for that because to, to, to not many people actually do live and truly live by the values that they set out. Now, everybody's got them on big, big sort of stickers on the wall. But I'll just point it to the wall. But it's a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but people will be able to see on YouTube. Um, but yeah, not many people actually live by them, um, and it's quite clear from talking to you that that you do very much so. So. Well, yeah. That the biggest one that, that that kind of clashed with this company was honesty. Oh really? Yeah. It's not. It's not an uncommon one. It's the first one that gets chucked out with a bathwater quite often. It's amazing the amount of people that sort of lord it, and then all of a sudden you sort of question stuff that goes on, and they're like, "Oh yeah, but we've always done it like that." Not yeah. always. Yeah. So, so, cool. So, if people wanted to reach out with you and work with you in one of or have a conversation with you about one of the three different sort of products and services you offer, um, obviously I know you're on LinkedIn. Um, I'll put your email address and phone number. Um, at the bottom in the show notes for people. Are you happy for people to just drop you a message or to connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks ever so much. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. I have learned more today than I probably learned in 11 years at school. <laughs> so, thank you. Thanks for listening to the On The Block podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Richard does, please visit his website, www.stonecontracts.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy his show. Thanks for listening and see you soon on the blog.